back, everybody, to the Jerry Lawler Show. Thank you so much for the download. My name is Sean Reedy. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Lawler Show. And the King did successfully defend his career and win that Arkansas championship against Matt Riviera. We'll probably have Matt on uh, next week, but we want to bring on our guest this week right now. We are joined by the Scottish psychopath, Drew McIntyre. Drew, how are you? Great. Phenomenal. It, well, it's very nice to have you on here. I uh, spoke to you the other night after Raw, and uh, you told me that you'd listened to a couple of podcasts. I was honored, and I was excited, and that's, of course, when I asked you to uh, if we could call you sometime. And I understand you just got off. You've been doing some uh, Rumble publicity this morning. So, yes, I did about an hour and a half, and I take the opportunity to go on myself on the punt and like the in media the morning. Like, I got to 6 a.m., and one of the reporters said to me, you know, thanks for coming in and taking the time early. Any opportunity I get to talk about wrestling is what I've always wanted to do. It's not work for me and getting on the podcast and talking with yourself. It's certainly not work. It's a pleasure and I'm excited. We're excited to have you on, especially right now because it is, uh, we're coming up this week uh, with the Royal Rumble and man, you, you, you had a little run in there Monday night with Randy Orton and, and, and you guys are... Uh, I, I don't know. Just tell me your general thoughts and what you've been saying on about the, the publicity for the Royal Rumble. I mean, we all know that Brock Lesnar is going to be the first uh, person in the Rumble. Uh, now, you guys, you don't you don't know when you're going to when your number is going to be drawn, do you? No, absolutely not. I'd be surprised if they actually know right now. So <laughs> right. I imagine we'll find right. out find out on the day uh, for real. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited you know about the Rumble this year. Like, I've been uh, at this job now since I was 14 years old, was signed by WWE when I was 21, the first ever Scotsman, came straight to America, you know, had the eight years with the company, was fired, kind of applied all the lessons I learned outside the company, got the opportunity to be a franchise player for multiple different companies, truly start you know, becoming a top guy and learning how to, you know, represent a company the way it should be represented. And, you know, if I left the boy, I got to return to WWE a man, had the run with NXT, became champion, and came to Raw, wasn't necessarily being myself, and was very serious all the time, and it's very hard to invest in a six foot five Harry Scott's and is serious all the time. And recently <laughs> You know, I've been allowed to kind of be myself. The crowd are responding, and I think finally, you know, the pieces are coming together. It just so happens it's many a season, so it's the perfect time for those pieces to finally come together. Well, I'm excited to talk with you just because, like you've mentioned, you have seen and done pretty much everything there is in the industry from the UK indie scene to working in Evolve with all the guys that are now in NXT and WWE and being on the main roster for all these years. What do you think of just the current state of the industry, you know, with these big TV deals going on and so much talent being signed? What do you think of pro wrestling in uh, 2020 or sports entertainment? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, both the same. You know, I, I say both in the same sentence. I always say you know, pro wrestling, sports entertainment, back to back. Um, but I believe it's the healthiest ever been, certainly in my career. Um, it's just incredible to watch the growth especially around the world outside of WWE. Like when I first started, there was no wrestling skills in Scotland. It was two in the UK. I used to travel 12 hours just to learn to wrestle. And the scene had died off. When the television deal was taken off in the 80s, the scene was gone. You know, Finley and Rigo, et cetera, had moved to America. There was nothing. And when I got signed, I came to America. There was no scene there at all. It basically just was WWE. Like ECW was gone, WCW was gone. And I got to grow up in WWE and learn from some of the best who are not with the company anymore. So it was an incredible experience. And when I left the company and I got back to the UK and I saw how much it developed, you know, the scene was really on the rise. There was an incredible amount of talent and characters. And it was the right place at the right time for me because they just needed somebody to kind of represent the UK. And I was that guy. And my first 
show, the big show I came back at 1,500 people in Scotland. The next big show that I was part of, we got 2,000 people. The next one, 4,000 people. And the last big one for I came back to WWE, we got over 7,000 people at wow. the show, which was the biggest independent show uh, in about 30 years, which was just an incredible feeling to be a reason that it actually happened. Obviously, WWE, the name sells the product, but to know you made a difference. Obviously, King, you know all about that. Yeah. And Memphis Territory, when you, when you know that you're part of that and the reason that people are showing up, it is an incredible feeling. Yeah, and you're talking about uh, one of my favorite promotions in the world. Just loved it for the past six or seven years. Uh, insane Championship Wrestling in Glasgow, Scotland, who, uh, you know, I think they kind of do like closest thing to a Memphis style of wrestling nowadays with all the storylines and characters and some great brawls and things like that. So, yes, I wanted to uh, plug Insane Championship Wrestling. I do on demand. Check it out. Uh, that's where you are a Hall of Famer at this point. And obviously the match with Grado, I think some people consider the company's high point, was fantastic. Yeah, that was, you know, my probably uh, personal favorite storyline that happened there. He's one of the last white meat baby faces, I guess, probably in all of wrestling. We're all shades of gray these days. And I was, you know, the big, bad, Americanized Scotsman at this point. Uh, Mr. Hollywood had my little faction going on in that night. We had Mick Foley's a special referee. The place was rabid, and like you say, like uh, it was that kind of Memphis feel. Because if I won the match that night, I would absolutely have been stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the Memphis feel, all right. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's funny that I mean that's the kind of that kind of atmosphere is really tough to attain in the WWE. I, I don't know if it's because I don't know if it's because the superstars are not really given. There's many superstars. I think each one of them are given enough time and enough exposure on TV to get that kind of what we call heat, you know, to get that kind of um, that kind of passion coming from the fans these days. And of course, the security is a lot better too. So that's a, that is going to keep most people from from getting so involved that they want to try to, like we did had back in the Memphis days, actually jump in the ring. And, and I'm sure you had that over in that situation. But but uh, yeah, it's, when you can when you can get that kind of that kind of response from the fans. It's, it's so, it's so self-gratifying, isn't it? I mean, you, you feel good about yourself, don't you? Yeah, it's an unbelievable feeling. Like, I got to remember one particular incident that just jumped in my head and you were describing those scenarios. Uh, I was in London and obviously you have a bit more freedom to say what you want in an non-PG environment. I was really letting London have it, uh, being <laughs> a Scotsman down there with, with my faction. And somebody threw a bottle and it just barely missed my head. And a bunch of the guys in the ring just, they lost it. They ran out the ring, they jumped the barricade, went straight for the direction the bottle came from. And I was halfway out the ring, halfway over the barricade. Then it occurred to me, I get over here, this, there's a brawl. It's going to be all over the news. It's not going to be a good look for us. I better single this guy out. And I, at the last second, got back in the ring, made the grown-up decision because young Drew would have caused a riot. <laughs> but uh, older and more mature, representing the company through, go back in the ring, kind of singled the guy out and had him thrown out. But it was that cool feeling. I was like, they were cussing me so bad till finally the bottle came flying in my head and the guys just went right for him. <laughs> so I appreciate the guys having my back. But as the, when my leg went over the barricade, I went, Drew, you're the only one that can stop this. Right or no right? And I went, oh, I want to right so bad, but be mature for once. <laughs> well, you're right. Babe. And, and what, you, what you have to realize and what we sometimes, a lot of the guys lose that, uh, lose that, objectivity of the fact that, hey, when when you've made these people so angry and so mad that they want to actually throw a bottle at your head, I mean, you've done your you've done your job to the best of your ability. And so it's it's sometimes it's crazy to want to want to punish them for for believing in you so much, you know, and but but that, you know, like you said, when the when the emotions get run, especially somebody throws a bottle at your head, 
your first instinct is to go out and, and take their head off. But you, you got to you got to stop and be mature like you did. That's that's very uh, that's very good that you got to that point where you realize I can't I can't do this, you know, right now at this point in time. Yeah. So in the past, I certainly would have like I'll yeah. say during my first run in WWE, like I came straight from university. I was still in my, from my parents' house. I was in the student mindset. I was a boy the whole time. And then I had the opportunity to grow up outside the company when I was finally on my own and not being told what to do. Like I grew up, parents told me what to do, school told me what to do, got to WWE, WWE told me what to do. Now I finally had a chance to grow up and become a man. So during that period, I truly became a man and thought like a man and returned to the company as a businessman instead of a little boy being told what to do. We'll be back in a moment on The Jerry Lawler Show. Five-hour energy is energy on the go. But what if you're not going anywhere for a while? Then five-hour energy is for getting stuff done while you're stuck at home, like doing an honest day's work for your boss. Getting rid of old clothes. Oh, my old bell-bottoms. Scouring the grout in your shower. Working out on that old stationary bike. And so much more. Go to the store or order online at shop5hourenergy.com. Five-hour energy. Energy for hunkering down. We got the in the house tonight. Yes, we do, man. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Titans in here. About to go off, dude. We ready to do this stuff? We're ready to rock, man. You ready to rock, camera hey, guys? Ready to roll. Mike, you ready? Ready. Ready. This is free to hot boxing, exclusively available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. All hail the king. It's the Jerry Lawler Show. Drew, I know that uh, Sean has a bunch. Of, he, has, he, he was telling me before we actually got you on the phone that he said, I got I got 100 questions I want to ask uh, Drew McIntyre. So go ahead, Sean. We'll give you a couple more minutes. Ask me some, some of your most wanted answered good questions. Sure. You know, like I mentioned, you worked Evolve when there were so many guys there who are now in WWE. Uh, who would you like to work with in the future that maybe you haven't gotten to work with yet? Yeah, it's kind of like a single. In WWE. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've worked with with most people that are in NXT Evolve at some point, and hopefully I get in the ring with them again because everybody's so incredible in ring. But there are a few people in general that I haven't worked with. I'm very much looking forward to working, and I don't know how myself and AJ Styles still haven't had a singles match. We've been like ships in the night our entire career. Like outside the company, then back within the company, and we still haven't had that big singles match. So that's definitely in my future. And you know, the man carrying the title right now is not at work very often. So there are many guys that can match up to Brock's size, speed and strength wise. If that ever comes my way, I'm very much looking forward to that. And any other opportunity I get with Randy is always a treat. That would be great. You're one of the few guys that's physically credible enough to kind of stand up to Brock, and I think happy people believe you could win a brawl. That'd be fun. Drew, I'm really enjoying your uh, your running now with with uh randy orton i think you guys i mean it's just something about the uh, chemistry that the two of you guys have you're very similar uh and and i think you, you can tell it by the fans uh the fans the fans want to like both of you guys you know and that's you know back in the past like in the memphis days that was that was really hard to uh you know, you, you just you didn't want that really. You wanted somebody to be hated and somebody to be loved. But in your situation with Randy Orton, uh, your personalities are so 
there's to me they're they're very similar, and I think to the fans too. They they just can't decide who they really want to. They're behind both of you guys, but they don't want to they don't want to boo or be against either one of you. It's just such a. I, I think it's a really cool situation. Thank you, and uh, yeah, my my thoughts are as long as they're making noise, as long as they care. That's what really matters these days. If they're not making noise, then they're having a problem. But with Randy, like uh, you know, he's just unbelievable, one of the best in the world. And you've got somebody out there as good as him. And again, as you know, if you're in the ring with somebody who gives a lot that you can react to, he's so good with all the little things and the big things. There's so much to react to and play off of each other that I'm just like going with him. And then you've got two people in there that kind of know what you're doing. And then you just follow each other's lead. And I'm just following Randy and everything he's doing and how comfortable he is and how good he is. And hopefully makes for a great spectacle for everybody else. Well, it looks like there's no end in sight for uh, the little uh, little interaction that you guys are having right now, and I'm glad of that. I, I look I look forward to it every week on Raw. Uh, now, have you thought much about uh, about the Rumble? I swear, I'm looking I'm looking at this field and this uh, the roster so far for the Royal Rumble match, and it's incredible. I mean, we first we come we come out and we've had Paul Heyman with this big spoiler telling everybody, uh, you know, that Brock is going to start and start first and finish last and win this thing. But then all of a sudden, when you look at the talent and you look at the superstars are going to be in there, just like you and like, and like Randy Orton and, and uh, AJ Styles. And then of course the, you know, from, from SmackDown, all of those guys, this is going to be a great Royal Rumble, I think. Yeah, this is going to be great no matter what, just because of the talent involved that you mentioned. And I love the idea of Brock starting first as a champion. It's just a great hook. It's different for people that don't necessarily watch the product. Hopefully they'll check it out for that reason. Oh, Brock Lesnar is going to be in this rumble. He's starting off. I'm interested. And then they're introduced to the rest of the talent. So I think we're going to have an incredible spectacle and possibly one of the best rumbles ever this year. And I feel it for myself. The pieces are just coming together nicely that I would just love to get that big win finally after all the ups and downs over the past 18 years because it just so happens WrestleMania is in my hometown in Tampa. And I've not had a world title shot Ever. So it'd be nice to have that first one at WrestleMania. Oh, my gosh. It's your one time. And, and I understand you're in Tampa right now. And uh, what's the weather like there in beautiful, sunny Florida right now? Cold. It's bloody freezing. <laughs> if I'd been in Scotland right now, the sun looks like it's out. I just looked out the window, but it's absolutely freezing. And my wife loves it because she's from West Virginia. She loves seasons. You'd think I'd be fine with it being from Scotland, where it's cold all the time. Heck no. When I moved here... Like actually, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky first for six months, and I was like, yeah. "Wow, this is a bit of a culture, sh- a bit of a culture shock coming from Scotland <laughs> to Louisville, Kentucky at 21 years old." So I wasn't, I didn't quite get used to that. But then when I moved to Tampa, it went from black and white to color, and I saw, you know, all the sights in Tampa and the weather. I went, "This is how it's supposed to be. This is the dream." Yeah, you don't, you don't move from Scotland to Tampa to get the same weather. That's not the goal. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, well, this is always what I dreamed about. I just saw something on on the internet yesterday where it was talking about the weather in Florida, and somebody said, "Well, the rest of the country wants to welcome Florida to winter because you guys never, you know, we get it everywhere else, and and you know, you've seen the last few weeks wherever we've been, and we've been in Iowa, and and uh, this past week we were in uh, uh, Kansas and freeze. But yeah, it's been horrible. Our, like some our, of those places we've been at. Yeah, like you know, we got Winnipeg, Canada coming up in February. Oh, no. What do you think that's going to be like? Oh. That's just not even funny cold. Like, it's one thing, like, this is kind of cold in Florida right now. Scotland is cold. My dad makes fun of me for talking about the cold. So you've changed, son. Been in America too long. But then there's Canada, which is a different level of cold. That's inhumane. Like, I tell the people, like, when I'm a bad guy on the mic there, I'm like, listen, you people have to be animals to live in these conditions. <laughs> like, why would you say 
I don't get it. I don't know. No, I can't imagine why anybody, even even as, even in our country, like I don't understand how anybody can live in Minneapolis. I, I just don't. Oh, I don't Minnesota. get it. Oh, and, yeah, Minnesota. My goodness, it's crazy. Hey, listen, you asked me, Drew. You asked me the other night about uh, about a guy that's near and dear to our heart and, and Sean's as well. It's Bill Superstar Dundee. Where all did you hear? Where did you first hear about Bill Dundee? Because he is he is definitely Scottish. Yeah, I mean that was uh, my major question. Like, obviously, you know, I, I enjoy um, following wrestling history. And Memphis has had some of the most insane angles ever, and that's why I love coming across the podcast. Like I told you, I didn't know you had one, and I listened to uh, the Rocky Johnson episode. I was very intrigued, like how you brought him in and built up the angle, and then I didn't realize you're possibly doing um, an angle with Elvis, which is unbelievable. Yeah. I told you also, so I didn't know, and also I asked, you know. I'd always heard Bill Dundee was actually a shield. I was the first ever Scotsman signed from Scotland. Roddy Piper's Canadian. The Highlanders, I think, were born in Scotland but lived in Canada for years. But I just heard, no, he's actually Australian. It's just a gimmick. But apparently, he is actually Scottish, as you told me. Yeah, he was actually born in Scotland and lived there up until, uh, I don't know if he made it to a teenager or 12 or so. But, I mean, Bill is a crazy story. The fact that you always used to hear that used to that used to be a, a funny saying. I guess it may happen more than more than people think about. It, but he actually ran away from home and joined the circus. And then and when he was just a, a teenager and uh, joined the circus there in Scotland and the travel the traveled with them for uh, a, a pretty good while. And the circus moved from of course city to city and actually country to country. And they moved over to. Australia to perform, and titles first started into in Australia, and you know when once he got involved with that left the circus, but uh, he was over in Australia until he came to Memphis, and I think I think Bill, uh, Sean, you would know this better than me, but didn't Bill and George Barnes first come to Memphis in about 1976? I think that's right. Yeah, that's the same time Rocky Johnson came to Memphis, so we had we had a big influx of of our major superstars in 1976 in Memphis, but yeah, Bill, and and then of course. You know, I guess his main memories were from Australia more so than as a. He didn't have any. He used to say he didn't have any good memories about Scotland growing up. I guess Bill had a real rough childhood in, in Scotland and uh, and was glad to get out of there. Really, it's not so bad these days. Like I hear, it was a bit rougher back yeah. in the days. Well, uh, I mean, I, you know, and during that period saying, when he was growing up. Yeah, I think it was more of his family situation more than it was Scotland. You know, it was just a, a rough time for the kid. You know. Yeah, I mean, we always say like, we we all part of the circus, but there's not many times you hear somebody who literally joined <laughs> the circus. Right, and I yeah, asked, I used to ask, story. I used to ask him. I said, Bill, well, what did you what did you first do when you joined the circus? And he said, Well, to be honest with you, I had to, I had to go along uh, behind the elephants and clean up the the crap for the elephants. And I said, and and he said, I did that for months and months. And I said, well, did you not ever think about quitting? And he said, what, and get out of show business? Uh, that's pretty good. I guess. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. It's incredible work ethic. Yeah, you're not kidding. You're listening to The Jerry Lawler Show. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to The Jerry Lawler Show. I, I just want to ask this. What what are the you and and like Randy Orton and the other superstars? What do you got? What goes through your mind when you hear Paul Heyman, who a lot you know a lot of people know. I mean, he's pretty much kind of in charge of Raw now. He's the big wheel, and when he comes out and gets in the ring and says, "Hey, this is a spoiler," my man, my 
man, Brock Lesnar is going to start number one, and he's going to win the Royal Rumble. He says, that's not a threat. It's a, it's a spoiler. What what goes through your guys' mind? I mean, is that is that a little bit deflating, or what do you think about that? Absolutely not. That I've had like so many ups and downs that nothing deflates me. If anything, it inspires me. I'm like, all right, really? Okay, that was my opportunity to show. Like, Heyman's Heyman's came in. You know, he's allowed people to start showing a little bit more of their personality, and it's up to you if you get that kind of freedom. Like I've been doing over the past couple of months to really take advantage of and show, you know, that you can get over if you're given that opportunity. And I think that's what I was missing. And the pieces are coming together aside. Being the size I am, the experience I have, the look, etc. Now that I'm putting those final pieces together, being myself, I cannot wait. The opportunity with Lesnar, I've been thinking about it for a very long time, and I think we could put on an absolute. I don't think I know we could put on an absolute spectacle if given the opportunity. And I know I'm the man that can take him down. I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, your interviews over the past few weeks. Uh, like you mentioned, you're really being allowed to kind of show your character and personality more. Is this the first time that you've had a chance to be something of a good guy in WWE? Yeah, and I don't necessarily think I'm just going straight good guy. I'm just trying to be myself. Like for that year and a half that I was back, I was so serious all the time. I was talking about eating carcasses and stuff, which people don't really say in real life. Right. And now right. I, I'm going out there. I'm going out there and having fun. Like and that's the key for me. Is just I'm going to have fun how I like to have fun. And now they actually see me relaxing and having fun with them in a bit. And if I'm having fun, generally. They're having fun, even if I'm talking at the expense of a good guy or whatever, I'm having a laugh. And I think that's the key now is just they can see, oh, this guy's having fun, but when he's in the ring, no, he's a bit of a badass. I think that's what, what was missing. And now, as I say, those pieces are finally coming together. Jerry, you probably saw that all the time with uh, Memphis and the young talent that would come in and they had to kind of find themselves and get comfortable in their own skin, I guess, in front of the camera. And sometimes it took some time. Well, yeah, exactly right. And what Drew is saying, uh, man, I agree with 100 percent because I'm, I'm thinking back in the day, we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't bring somebody in and say, uh, you're going to be a heel. You're going to be a bad guy or you're going to be a fan favorite. Everybody's going to love you or whatever. The, at that time, guys had the freedom. They, they just and we would try to tell them, just be yourself. And, and then we you know, we gave the guys the freedom to to do whatever they wanted to do. And and quite frankly, Drew will admit to this a lot, uh, that, that sort of thing has been lost. Uh, and I think, I, you know, I don't know why creative or so many writers or whatever, that that freedom had gotten pushed to the side in the WWE. But I think that now that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be back and so excited to see what's going on now. I think that freedom is coming back to where the guys really get to, as Drew said, be themselves. They're not being told uh, this is this is this is what your personality has to be. This is how you have to think, and this is what you have to say. You you're have, having more freedom right now, and, and I think that's going to be make a much more exciting product. And I think that shows are going to be so much better. I mean, just just I mean, just look at Drew alone. That's the, that's a perfect example right there. I agree 100%. I see it across the board, and maybe it doesn't work for everybody. Maybe people, some people are more comfortable getting a lot of help, but there is a lot of us that had a lot inside we wanted to let out. You know, outside the company, I, I succeeded because I had that microphone time to show that personality, be it in TNA where I was champion there, or Evolver I was champion there, and Scotland where I was champion there, and NXT was also champion there. And now that I get that microphone and I get that little bit of time and just be yourself, just keep within the confines of the story. Obviously, don't win business for yourself. Right. Go out there and show them what you can do. And that's, 
you know, what is going to make us some high, uh, top-level superstars, the ones that can actually do it and take advantage of the opportunity. Drew, I, I think you've got a tremendous future ahead of you here and just really just uh, really just taking off here at the WWE right now. And I think the Royal Rumble is going to be a, uh, an exciting platform for you to just really get to show exactly uh, what you're all about. I'm excited about it. I know you, I don't know if you ever get to go back and watch Raw again, but, you know, you're my pick right now. Uh, now a lot of people say I change sides more than a windshield wiper, but no. I, uh, what? What? What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, you're 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 going to be my pick until you get eliminated. But if you don't get eliminated, I appreciate you know, that. <laughs> then, then then I'll tell everybody I was right. He was my pick all the way. But uh, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun show, man. Well, I appreciate that. It is going to be a fun show, 100. percent like I always enjoy listening for your. Uh, little jokes of the week because that's a few I stole over the years like uh, just watching you growing up I can't think of the amount of Jerry Lawler zingers that I've stolen over the years like one off the top of my head the Helen Hart one which is the only person with an autographed copy of the Bible I've used in a lot of elderly people and people that smell uh, I remember doing the Inferno match with Taker and Kane he told JR's roll on it rolled off just so many zingers I've just ripped ripped off and stole them as my own just so you know over the years oh well I appreciate that that's good because I don't think anybody really comes ever comes up with a uh, original line they probably all, all jokes are stolen i don't know who wrote them eventually but uh yeah well I, gosh that, that's um that's humbling to know that you've actually remember those some of those one-liners but yeah that was a great thing about Stu and helen hart oh my gosh they they, they provided me with so much material uh and, and it was just it was so much fun to work with with brett just just because mainly because of his parents and uh and i you know it was so funny uh, at first, I would hear Brett and I were not close at all at first. I don't think Brett liked the Memphis territory. He thought of the Memphis guys as being not, you know, not up par with the with the WWE talent and everything. And so when I was brought up there, I don't think he was crazy about being put in an angle with me. And at least that's what I heard. And then when I started doing the material about his parents, uh, he never actually came to me and said it, but he did tell me. He did tell me later on. Once we got to be, you know, closer friends, he did tell me that at first that really upset him because he thought it was upsetting his parents. And he said it went on for years and he never talked to his parents about it because it's such a he thought it was such a sore subject to them. But he said, finally, years later, his mother came to me to him one day and said, I really miss Jerry Lawler on the shows and everything. She said, I loved when he would make fun of me and Stu. And Brett said, what? And she said, oh, my gosh, because I felt like they made us part of the show. And so then he said, at that point, I had a whole different uh, appreciation of what you did because he said, my, my parents uh, were so into it that they were, you know, they were they were smart enough to realize that, hey, I was just I was just trying to build the program up. And, and they really they really enjoyed being a part of it. So, yeah, that was that was some fun stuff. And there's there's so many great one liners from those guys. I, I remember, I think. One of my favorites about about Helen Hart was when I said Stu and Helen Hart produced more tragedies than Shakespeare, and I've heard so, so many people tell me about you know all the all the kids that they had and everything. So, uh, but yeah, that was that was fun. I'm glad you I'm glad you still remember some of those lines. That's neat. Oh yeah, I remember everything. I'm beyond obsessive. I'm just the the, the fans come up to me and say I'm a big Mark, and I tell them I'm the biggest Mark. I'm the one that took it. 
too far and started doing it. And I remember everything so clearly, especially that period. And like, I was just wanting Brett to beat you up. But I was a kid, I was like, God, this guy just keeps running his mouth. Come on, Brett, you've got to beat him up. And then I was a big, at the time ECW came around, that was the right age. My brother was the right age. We're in ECW. And when you were anti ECW, we're like, God, why wouldn't someone beat up this lower? And when they finally got your comeuppance, we loved this. What stuff made you fall in love with wrestling? Because obviously you've talked about how you did. Was it were you a Hogan era guy or a Brett and Sean? Uh, yeah, Hogan was definitely on top when um, I first started watching. I can barely remember. I was always just going to do it no matter what. Brett was my favorite uh, growing up, and I always tell the story about when I was 11 years old. I sent to America for the Inside Secrets of Pro Wrestling Volume One and Two by Dennis Brent Percy Pringle. I read the, the inside the inside burns and it told me you got to keep kayfabe or kafabe as I pronounced it at the time because I was an 11 year old. So I kept the books in my briefcase and I went to school and played along with everybody. But they were talking about you know the, the stories etc. And I knew how it really worked, but I was keeping kafabe, so I just played along with them. So I've been always a, a weird kid obsessed and was always going to do this from a very early age. Wow, that's pretty neat. I tell you what, I'm just listening to you. Uh, you know, I think we're all fans. Uh, I think everybody in the business. It, it would be hard to be, it'd be hard to become a wrestler if you weren't at least one time a fan of it. I was I was the same way growing up. You know, I was a big fan. Never, I, I, but I was different from you in the in the fact that I never even thought about being a wrestler. I just, you know, I love to watch it, and and then I just, I don't know, I just didn't think that I had a chance to do that. But I was, I was so interested in art, and I just sort of had my my life planned out for me about that I was going to be an artist and that sort of thing. And the art led me to get the chance to meet some of the wrestlers in Memphis, Jackie Fargo and Tojo Yamamoto, these guys. And then that time, once I actually got to meet guys in person, and and then I went from being a uh, just a regular fan that watched it on TV to being like a, a huge mark, like you said. And and then then I started thinking about, gosh, what if I could ever have the opportunity to get under, inside a wrestling ring? And I remember Jackie Fargo said, no, kid, you don't want to do that. Stick to being an artist. You got, you're got you so talented with the art, you don't want to do that. And I, I just begged him. I said, just let me try it one time, Jackie, and I promise you, one match and I'll go back to being an artist. I'll never bother you again. And so he gave me that one chance, and of course, here, 50 years later, I'm still doing the wrestling. So, but I still do the art. It worked out nicely. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Hey, and another thing I want to tell you, I'm just hearing that you like the the one liners. Back in the day when I first, back in the day when I first started, and that was, you know, that was my trademark. I would come out with the insults and one liners on every one of my interviews. That was what made me different from most of the other guys. Most of the guys back in that time, they just go out and tell everybody how they were going to beat somebody up. Well, I would I would go out and I would make my interviews a little bit funny in the fact that I would always have the insults and the one-liners and that sort of stuff. And I put together a book in about, nine, I think, 1976. 76 must have been a good year for us in Memphis. But in 1976, I put together Gary Lawler's Book of Insults. It's a little bitty, it's a little bitty book, and uh, I think I sold them for a buck on the gimmick table at that time. But anyway, I'm going to bring you one at Royal Rumble. I'm, I'm going to give you one of those books. But don't tell uh, anybody. I appreciate don't, that, man. Don't tell anybody where you got it. Don't tell anybody you got it. Just you, it'll be a ton of ton of good insults that you can use out of there from time to time. They're still relevant today. They're still good. I uh, appreciate that. I'd really appreciate that. Thank you. All right, man. Well, listen, any, Sean, you got any more questions for Drew? We've taken up a lot of his – we're taking up his beach time. It's 39 degrees down in Florida right now. He needs to be out on the beach. I feel oh, like yeah, – Yeah, I think I you know, can I ask for my question. I just really have been enjoying the personality over the past few weeks, and I see some 
big things in the future. Hopefully that Brock match does happen because I think that would be a collision of the, the Titans. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that's going to happen too. You know, fingers crossed. You know how things are in this business. You can never predict anything for sure, but all I know is I stick everything one week at a time and give everything I've got. Listen, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, I'll see you. We'll see you Sunday at the Royal Rumble. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye, everybody. An autopsy not only reveals how a person died, but how they lived. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. If you like what you're hearing, check out more dark mysteries on your TV on Reels channel. There are shocking real life and death stories in world's most evil killers, like the quiet neighbor nicknamed the Scorpion after he bludgeoned nine women to death with a hammer. And Rodney Alcala, the serial murderer best known as the dating game killer. Then check out the latest episodes of Autopsy that reveal what really killed screen and music legends like Walt Disney, Tom Petty, David Cassidy, and Batman's Adam West. You can find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. 